Hey there, Internet. Welcome to a bonus episode of The Stakes, MTV's resolutely, reluctantly political podcast. We are coming to you from a snake pit of actual politics today. We are live on the road in Las Vegas as we prepare for the, mercifully, the final of three presidential debates. I've been thinking a lot about clutter in the political cycle recently, about signal and noise and how we've had so much of the latter and not a whole lot of the former in this election. Uh, You know, stories and stories and scandals and scandals are falling faster and thicker the closer we get to November 8th. But one thing we will be able to say for sure after tomorrow is at least we won't have to sit through another one of these. To set the scene for tonight's debate with what we hope might happen and what we fear could happen, I'm going to throw over right now to senior political correspondent Anna Marie Cox and senior national correspondent Jamil Smith. Hello, I'm Jamil Smith, senior national correspondent for MTV News. And I'm Anna Marie Cox, senior political correspondent for MTV News. And we are here in Las Vegas in anticipation of the third and final presidential debate. Is it really only the third? I feel like these have been going on for a while. It feels like the sixth, doesn't is it? Is it at least the last one? It is the last it one. It is the final okay, one. Right. That is confirmed. Okay, good. Uh, I do not think that uh, either uh, Mr. Trump or Secretary Clinton will be calling for another one after this, because I think they've put the nation through enough. Right. Although, you know what a really scary Halloween costume would be? <laughs> Keeping doing these debates. Yes. A Halloween, a Halloween debate in costume would yeah. be amazing. Right. Um, I, so, I think let's first deal with the, what we're fearing will happen tonight. <laughs> Speaking of Halloween... <laughs> Um, yes. Well, I, I, you know, this is probably going to be Donald Trump's last biggest audience um, mm-hmm. of the year, maybe his life, actually. He will have an audience that is beyond what he gets at his rallies. He'll have an audience of people who are beyond his, his most fervent believers. And I'm concerned he's going to continue to raise this idea that we have a rigged system, a rigged election, that there's going to be uh, cheating at the polls, there'll be voter fraud, which is, as you know, non-existent. So minimal as to be non-existent. 31 cases out of a billion in a recent Loyola study. Yes, I believe someone has done the Skittles visualization for that particular ratio, and it is quite astounding. And I, I think every time he talks about this, even when he talks about it to just his audience, it's it undermines democracy. It undermines the rule of law. To say it to the audience he'll have tonight does that even more so. And it does damage... You know, I think people have sort of talked a, a lot about him undermining our elections just when he talks to his own audience because they are the post-truth coalition. But even to talk about it to more neutral audiences, I think does a lot of damage as well. Yeah, I think one of his underlying goals of that is to depress turnout. He wants people to not come out to vote. Mm-hmm. And so but what do you what what undermines people's faith in politics more than telling them that the entire political system is bunk, that it's rigged, that it's wired to, you know, okay. engineer a certain outcome. And so why even bother showing up to vote? We all know she's going to win and here's a way to not only de- delegitimize her victory but also get people more cynical about this entire American project. And I think it's it's really insidious, and I'm glad President Obama had something to say about it yesterday. I am, too. And I worry a little bit about people who are maybe not real students of history or students of global affairs and the way that they might see this in, in historical and international context, which is that this is an experiment. Like, the American experiment is still ongoing. Like, it's not a success yet. 
You know what I mean? Like right. it could kind of go wrong at any moment, and it could go wrong if we fail to have a peaceful transfer of power. Right. Nor is it complete. And, right. and the idea that's that you know somehow we can take for granted that you know they're going to be there's going to be an election every four years that we're going to have this democratic process in order to elect that president and all our representatives and senators and all the other elected officials that is not something that just happens. Mm-hmm. It's something that is done. It's an active process. It's an active process that we're a part of whether we want to be it or not. In the sense that we are citizens. And we vote or don't vote, even not voting, you're part of the process, though. Like, even by accepting the outcome, that is part of the process. The rule of law is part of the process. And I think some people don't realize that democracy is not necessarily a stable... It's not necessarily a stable platform. Let's use computer jargon here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we've had the most bug-free edition. The, we've had the, the longest-running, most peaceful democracy in the history of the world. Other democracies have not had the same success that we have. And I think that that's worth remembering and worth celebrating. I mean, that's when, when I go to the polls, and I'll be honest, I haven't gone to a poll in a while. I've either voted absentee or voted early. Right. But you know what? Like, it is a celebration to do that. Like, I feel good about my country and about myself and about the thing that we're doing. It's it's corny. I love my I voted sticker. I love it. I want my sticker every time I go. And if I don't get my sticker, there's a problem. But I, I actually, this is a good way to transition into the hopes that we have yes. for tonight. Because I actually hope that people don't take this, you know, take him seriously. Uh, he has hired a guy... In you know this this 2008 videographer who photographed the Philadelphia voting uh, voting location where new Black Panthers were you know I guess patrolling for whatever safety, and he's basically hired this guy to help him in his in this effort in this sort of this voter intimidation effort, which is ironic given that he's encouraging his supporters to do the exact thing that these new Black Panthers allegedly were doing in Philadelphia, except they're going to be doing it to you know, populations that aren't planning to vote for Donald Trump. And also, I mean, let's say this new new Black Panther thing is sort of an urban legend, as it were. <laughs> um, which is to say that they were there. Right. They weren't doing anything. I believe, I mean, you might know better than I, like how... They weren't doing anything. Yeah, they I were was just, living in Philadelphia they at were the just time. There. And they, they, they weren't were, doing anything. They were not intimidated. The audience that was, the audience, the people, the citizens that were at that polling area were other Black people right Mm -hmm. like it's not like they were intimidating anyone right they were making sure i guess that you know their community just had safe access to the ballot box which look is not something that we encourage people to do right um it's not necessarily something that people feel like they should need to do there are election observers there are poll watchers who are licensed and are there to do exactly that job which makes the entire call for election observers from the trump campaign utterly you know, if, not only scary, but also pointless. Like, but let's also be clear. Like, it's one thing to observe an election, and it's another thing to intimidate. Yes. I mean, the wonderful thing about our elections is that they are a transparent, open process. You know, anyone can be involved. Anyone can be an election observer, a credentialed election observer. Anyone can be a, a part of the polling process. Mm-hmm. It is quite another thing to say that you're going there for a specific reason to, like, make sure that people who, what is, what was the thing in the Boston Globe story? People who don't speak American? Yeah. Um, it's some interesting quotes from Trump supporters lately. Right. Um, about what they plan to do, uh, not only on Election Day, but after Election Day, should she win. Um, the one man was quoted as saying that he's, uh, if he, you know, 
he needs to be a patriot, he will, and mm-hmm. basically saying that she needs to be taken out. Yep. Um, there's obviously some really alarming rhetoric, and you know where they were radicalized. Yeah. That you know that they were radicalized at these rallies through his through his campaign rhetoric. And, you know, we have three more weeks of that, and this is going to be maybe potentially the apex of it tonight. Well, let's talk about going high, though, when they go low. Okay. Uh, which is to say, I mean, what can Hillary do to sort of get the most possible out of this? I mean, I do think it's going to mean talking about policy, which she has done. Um, she's amazing at fitting in policy into every corner of her answers. It's like if she was, you know, writing in a blue book for an essay test, Mm -hmm. like she would fill every freaking line and like do little footnotes and everything. Like I just remember you and I were watching together. I think the first debate when there was an answer or a question about, I think about policing. And she mentioned in the context of, of her answer, which was already started out great about pl- implicit bias and how we all need to be aware of implicit bias. She worked in that uh, police are often the first responders for mental health issues. Right. Which is something not a lot of people know, but it is a huge issue for a lot of communities. And in fact, I know just... Just last night in the Bronx, a 66-year-old woman um, was killed by a New York police officer, uh, you know, essentially wielding a baseball bat at him. Mm-hmm. Um, it was said to be mentally disturbed. And yes, in that case, it seems like police were the first responders to her mental health crisis. And she paid for it with her life. And that just seems so utterly pointless and really just disturbing. I mean, the idea that, like, you, you don't think to use maybe a stun gun or tackle this woman. I mean, this is a woman who's a grandmother's age mm-hmm. who has a baseball bat. And you need to shoot her in order to take, you know, I just, it is amazing. And while me. I can't imagine Chris Wallace bringing this up, especially since he's already said he's going to be a timekeeper and not a fact checker. Why yeah. don't we just have a fucking watch on stage? Yeah. <laughs> um, like one of those chess clocks. You yeah. Know? You might as well um, just, just like, yeah, just pop in, you know, it's your time. I can see Hillary bringing that in. I can see her trying to bring in policy. I really do think that's sort of her version of going high when they go low during these debates mm. is trying to just bring it back to the stuff that she knows, which is policy. Right. Speaking of which, I mean, I, th- I anticipate that she'll talk tonight about the new tax policy that she has proposed in recent weeks. No one noticed it because we're so busy worrying about Trump's Access Hollywood tape and all this, this other is stuff. the child tax credit, the exactly. doubling of the child tax credit. The doubling of the child tax credit and, you know, other things that are engineered to help poor families. Right. So that I anticipate her wanting to, you know, promote and make sure people understand a lot better and really try to get above and beyond all the sort of Trump reality show stuff that we're getting right. we, we, we're sure to see. And the nice thing about that policy, it's also something that's very intelligible to a lot of people. And it's something people can understand how it works on their lives. Um, and that is something, sometimes when we talk about policy at debates, I think it turns into a gotcha situation where they're just trying to poke holes in policy or trying to find contradictions. And it doesn't really resonate with people listening because they're, they're trying to figure out, no, I want to know, I don't care about your hypocrisy necessarily i want to know how your particular policy affects me which to be to be i guess more than fair is sometimes how donald trump gets away with stuff because he's like don't talk to me about my hypocrisy on tax policy let me just talk about how i'm going to cut your taxes although i don't really think he's he's actually going to do the opposite of that for a (laughs) lot of middle class families according to a lot of economists uh, uh analysis but lastly what is your final expectation you think out of this what do you think like american people are going to be taking out of this specifically younger voters who are watching? Well, 
You know, I mean, I think that the unfortunately the best we can hope for is dignity on the part of Hillary Clinton and not outright, you know, uh, excitations or exhortations to violence from Trump. I hope that she shuts him down if he does say stuff about rigged elections or about the kind of vigilantism that he's been encouraging. Mm -hmm. I am hopeful that there will be some discussion of issues that we haven't here discussed yet. I doubt it, but I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for climate change and also reproductive rights. Yes. Abortion access needs to be talked about. Yeah. And especially, you know, I guess you you see Texas a lot more in the news lately Mm -hmm. because the polls are getting closer there. Well, Texas is, you know, the the center of that abortion access conversation. And to ignore it, I think, would be really to everyone's detriment. Yeah. So those are things that I'm hopeful for. And um, I am just going to keep hope alive. That is what I am going to do. (laughs) Yes. Jesse Jackson's in town, so I'm going to do the same. Despite all evidence to the contrary, there is still hope. And you know what? I think it's important that we talk a little bit about the hope and the positivity of this, because I think even people listening can hear that we're really tired of this election and there's a lot of stuff that we don't like about it and it can be really annoying, but it is still, you know, the the best, most successful, most peaceful democracy, longest running experiment on the planet. And it is to be celebrated. As As depressing as you may find it, as low as the conversation has gotten, we are still doing pretty good. Yeah. And the only way it gets better is if you participate. Right. And so make sure that, you know, while you're listening tonight, while you're watching this debate, you know, think about the issues that you, you care about that get mentioned, the ones that don't get mentioned. Understand that it's just one debate. And that's why I really hope people take out of this. And it's just it's just one night. Let's just get through it <laughs> and really focus on the things that matter for the rest of these, you know, last couple of weeks of this election time. And so wh- whoever wins, they're going to need to be held accountable. And it's easier to hold pe- people accountable if you're paying attention. So pay attention. Keep track of what you care about. Make sure you're registered to vote. Amen to that. That was senior political correspondent Anna Marie Cox in conversation with senior national correspondent Jamil Smith. I'm Holly Anderson with producer Mook DeMohan here in Las Vegas. We will see you again later on tonight for another edition of Stakes After Dark or SAD. <laughs>